Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Ross Binder, at Ross WB on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter as a group at Iowa Awesome, Go Iowa Awesome there. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe, follow, and leave that rate and review wherever you are listening. If you want to leave a question for us, of course, you can subscribe on our website, iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe and drop a question there, or you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and ask us a question. So got to start with a few basketball things related, though football is right around the corner because, well, one of the players on the Iowa basketball roster, Amarian Nimmers, entered the portal. He's originally from Rock Island. He was a walk-on and redshirted last season. Ross, were you surprised uh, about this one way or another, whether it's timing, the fact that he didn't get a scholarship, the fact that he entered period, did anything stick out to you uh, about Nimmers entering the portal? I don't think anything was too surprising to me. Maybe the timing. I mean, it, it, August is probably a little bit of a strange time, I think to, for a basketball player to enter the portal, you know, you probably expect it to happen earlier in the, you know, closer to the end of the season in you know april or may or whatever uh but other than that i i wasn't too surprised just because i don't i don't really know where his minutes were going to come from next season so i think given that the fact that he you know went into the portal and look for a different location where you know presumably he can he's got a better path to see the floor and and maybe start even uh that makes sense to me for sure right and, and part of me there, there are a couple things that that I think about here. And the first is that he only had one offer out of high school from Eastern Illinois, at least according to rivals. He had a bunch of interest, no other offers, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, of course, Eastern Illinois beating Iowa early in the year was probably like, oh, you should have come here. But then they were bad. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the first thing is that he only had the one scholarship offer out of school. So if he's going to end up anywhere I on scholarship, I'm going to be surprised if it's D1. And if it is D1, it's going to be lower tier, like in Eastern Illinois. And when folks were saying, oh, I thought he could end up on scholarship, well, Fran doesn't really do that for walk-ons unless they're in their final year or they're Nick Bear. So I didn't expect yep. that to happen. And Nimmers is fun. I mean, he's he's a, a sort of what he would have been at Iowa if he ended up carving out a rule. Is I I assume is a microwave scorer. You know, the Lou Williams type. If you're if you're equating it to the NBA. So I didn't think he was going to be anything. You know, that uh, would have made an enormous impact at least sooner rather than later. It would have been later on in his career. And he's going to be a defensive liability when you're 6'2", 173. That's just what you are. That's nothing indicative of who he is or his effort. That's just that's just the way it is, typically, unless you can match him up with a small guard on, on the opposing team as well. And he did say in his, uh, his, his, I guess, statement that he was leaving that he was open to any levels. So I'm I'm assuming he's going to end up at a D2 or a D3, maybe NAIA and get some money and get his school paid for and end up wherever else and be a contributor somewhere. I imagine he wanted to see the floor um, and he was kind of getting sick of being on the bench. And when you're a hooper, you know, fair enough, man. Fair enough. And additionally, 
there are a few things in, I'm going to revert back to that, that first thing I, I was saying about him being a walk on and people thinking he was going to carve out a role. The 10 minute tape that he put on YouTube. And again, this isn't indicative of a Marion. This is, this is anybody. I mean, Austin Ash looked phenomenal in the tape that he put out too. And he was a walk on for a reason. He's a, a hell of a lot better hooper than me. Again, better basketball player than me. Same thing for Nimmers. This is not an indictment of him as a basketball player, but relative to the big 10, when you put together a highlight reel, you're going to look awesome. Whether or not that translates to the, to the floor is a whole nother thing. So again, I, I think he may have very well carved out a role in a few years, but it wasn't going to happen soon. And, and to give him a scholarship with four years remaining in school, I don't think would have been the smart move by Fran. And the fact that he didn't put out a statement about, Nimmers moving on, I think is indicative as well, because he's a walk on because he probably wasn't going to get a spot. And that's more or less why I assume why Nimmers entered the portal. And again, fair enough. He's, he's going to get money from somewhere. Yeah, I think about the, the walk on pipeline with in basketball is a good one because it's, it's not the same as football. You know, obviously for one thing, there's just way fewer scholarships, but you know, Fran's history also, like you said, doesn't point to that. You know, the only – you've got a, a few guys that were walk-ons and maybe are in scholarships for their final year here at Iowa. Um, and then you had Nick Bear. But Nick Bear was playing a significant role as a freshman. You know, he was just uh, an extreme outlier in terms of just the fact that he was a walk-on at all. I think, you know, he was clearly – you know, something went slipped through the cracks in the recruiting process there. And uh, it turned out to be to Iowa's, you know, immense benefit. But expecting a case like Bayer to come along more than once a decade or even anything approaching that is is just foolish, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, it, for for the average fan, you look at that tape that he put up, you look at what he was able to do in high school, and you think he could carve out a role. But tape highlights versus on the floor in the Big Ten is just a whole other thing. That's just the way it is. Um, and and to, to look at his film and be excited, fair enough, man. I mean, I would watched it. I watched a portion of it when he put it up for when he entered the portal. And I was like, damn, he's explosive. He's quick. Um, he's, he's, his shot releases is, is, is fast. He's got a, got a nice step back and again in the highlights. Um, and, and so I, I, I think he's, he's got a spot somewhere and he could really, really shine at, at whatever level he ends up at and best of luck to him. If he ends up at another D one school at, at a mid major that values that red shirt year, it says, Hey, we need a, a guard that can contribute and, and off the bench and be that, that, you know, I don't know if volume scorer is what you're looking for, but a little bit of a spark plug on the offensive end, and he can provide that. It's not going to be UNI because they don't have any scholarships available. It's not going to be uh, – it's probably not going to be Drake because they just brought in a bunch of transfers from other high-level programs. They're bringing in programs or guys from the Patriot League who are scoring 15, 20 points a game. They're not going to give Amarian Nimmers a scholarship. That's just not what they're going to do. So uh, it, it'll have to be somewhere else. It'll have to be somewhere like in Eastern Illinois if he wants to stay D1. But uh, I, I, I do see somewhere where he will contribute in the future. So best of luck to him wherever he ends up. Um, and so to, to stay with with basketball, Riley Mulvey not going overseas. Uh, 
my first reaction, Ross, is what, why? And to see that it's a prior commitment to a family thing. Of course, when I, when I look at that, this, this trip has been scheduled for a while. And who knows what the commitment is, like if he wasn't able to get uh, a, uh, a passport for whatever reason or, you know, and they're just, you know, it's a family commitment. We're moving on. Fine. But if there's anybody that was on the roster that wasn't a freshman, that wasn't a transfer, Riley Mulvey is the one who could have used this trip the most. And to see him not going is disappointing. And I think it, it has to be for fans, especially and, and a guy that has been using up a scholarship um, that was he contributed a little bit last year, but for the most part, wasn't anything incredible. Hasn't grown a ton since he's been on campus. There's any he's, he's an awesome presence on the on the basketball team. He's always up clapping no matter how much time he gets on the bench. And so he, he, there's value in that. But. If there's anybody that could have used this trip as a big man, especially with Cricky and Bronze coming in and Freeman, if he wants any sort of role this year, it was somebody like that that really could have used this trip. Um, so, so those are my initial thoughts. Did you have any any Ross on on Mulvey not going overseas? Yeah, I mean, we obviously don't know what the family you know prior commitment is, so we can only speculate. I mean, I don't know if his his brother's getting married or something, and he just you know didn't want to miss that. You know what? Whatever the case, you know, he, he has to make his own decisions there. But I think definitely from uh, his standpoint with the, the basketball team and what he can do this season, uh, it, it is disappointing because, you know, it, this this was a big opportunity for him. And, you know, this season is probably a big year for him to, you know, try and carve out a role for himself and, you know, show what he can do in, at, the, at the Big Ten level with no – uh, with Fabracci gone, with the, the Murrays both gone, like there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in that front court for Iowa uh, going into this season. Now, like you said, we Iowa also was very active in the transfer portal. They added uh, Cricky, they added Bronze, uh, and they got Freeman as a incoming freshman. So there are some other bodies there for sure. But you know, Mulvey is the only one that's been here for a couple years. So if that was going to, you know, mean anything you know, it would help him presumably on this trip and, and to give him kind of a leg up to, you know, earn some minutes and carve out a, a spot in the rotation. But uh, him not being there is certainly going to put him a little bit behind. I would think once, you know, they re, you know, start up with the regular practice in October. Uh, and that's just going to give the other guys that are on the trip, you know, they're going to, they're going to get first crack at those front court minutes now. So. And I mean, <clears throat> On its face, just just a general look at Mulvey, I think what Iowa did in the portal is telling. I think they needed a big no matter what because Mulvey was what was left. And, of course, they're bringing in Freeman, but you can't bank on a, fre- uh, on a freshman being able to contribute right away. Though I would favor Freeman over Mulvey at this point based on what I've seen from Freeman. Again, we have to see it translate to the Big Ten, but I'm going to favor bronze over Mulvey already obviously going to favor Cricky because what he's able to do on the offensive side of the floor bronze I see as more of a filler backup role where he can run the floor he's athletic enough to play defense at the big 10 level and he can score in the pick and roll he's smart teammates love him he's a good dude and so he's he's a guy that I think earned a scholarship by way of what he was able to do at Belmont and the fact that he's going to be at Iowa for two years but 
or whatever amount he's going to be there. But I, you know, and, and bronze is more athletic than Mulvey on top of that. And he's grown, I think an inch or two. So he's six ten rather than six nine. So bronze is immediately going to be favored over Mulvey. I, I just don't see a, a way where Mulvey gets even almost reasonable minutes this year with Freeman, because you almost want Freeman on there in the garbage minutes to get a little bit of feel, unless you do wind up wanting him into red shirt or he gets hurt God forbid, or, or what have you. But Mulvey was already in a bad, I don't know if bad is the right word, but in a tough spot in a position to, I'm sorry, I'm trying to phrase this right. He was in a tough spot to get minutes this year. And by way of this trip, now I don't think this trip is an end-all be-all, but he's not helping himself by not going on the trip. And again, we don't know the background of it all. So who knows what's going on, but he's not helping himself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think with his situation, like you said, with the guys coming in, you know, he needs to take advantage of every opportunity he can get to try and, you know, move himself forward on that pecking order, really. And uh, not being there for this trip is obviously not going to help in any way with with him moving up that pecking order. And if he wanted to go, I feel bad for him because he probably recognizes the fact that, I mean, why wouldn't you want to go overseas and play basketball, right? But um, you right. you got to feel for him if it's just a, a thing where he couldn't figure it out and it it was unfortunate. But I, I it's going to be tough for him to see a role this year. Anyway, moving on to the big thing that is uh, all, all over college football at the moment, and it is conference realignment. We haven't talked about it much to this point. I've heard about it quite a bit on a few other college football podcasts, and truth be told, I'm kind of sick of it. But now it's to a point where Ross and I, we have to talk about it with Washington and Oregon planning a move to the Big Ten Conference in 2024. Ross, everything you know Everything you've heard, of course, there's a ton of realignment in the Big 12 as well. Is what happened with Washington and Oregon moving to the Big 10, also joining UCLA and USC uh, in 2024. Is this good for the conference? Is this good for college football? I mean, those are pretty loaded questions, right? I mean, I think <laughs> I, I think it depends a lot on, uh, you know, what's what are you measuring good for the conference and good for co- well. Uh, good for good for the conference and good for college football, I think, are probably un, not related concepts necessarily. So um, I don't think it's good for college football. I, 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 redu- losing a power conference like that, assuming the Pac-12 is is done, which I mean, they're down to four teams now. So it's pretty, pretty hard to see a path forward for them. But I, I don't see, you know, them basically disintegrating and their teams being parceled out to uh, two other conferences really being a net positive for college uh, college sports in any way. Um, as far as the Big Ten, you know, long term, I guess the goal is that this this gets the conference more money, which gets the schools more money. Um, uh, Oregon and Washington joining up isn't going to add more money in this current TV deal. It sounds like that's going to have to wait until uh, this billion dollar deal that they negotiated last year. Uh, when that's up, then they'll have another chance to another bite at the apple to, and those teams will be in the fold. So, you know, I guess the goal then will be to, you know, get an even bigger, more in, insane media deal uh, and get more money. Um, but, you know, beyond the money side of things, you know, I, I think it does make the Big Ten, you know, if you're looking for positives, 
it makes the Big Ten competitive in a lot more sports. I think from a football standpoint, you know, most of those teams are either have been good recently or uh, have a strong tradition. Um, I think, well, Oregon and Washington have both been in the playoff within, well, since the playoff existed, not recently as much. The Pac-12, I think, I think they were on like a six-year drought from uh, making the playoff, which wasn't great, obviously. Uh, USC and UCLA never made the playoff, but, you know, they have histories that are as rich as just about anybody's in college football. Uh, and they're in LA, you know, talent hotbed. Um, so, you know, the Big Ten, the foot, from a football standpoint, the league should be more competitive, uh, whether that's a, a good thing if you're a fan of a team like Iowa. I mean, that, that's a good that's a big question. Um, I think they're they're also a net positive in a lot of other sports, uh, especially uh, some of the out of the spotlight sports, you know, your 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 baseball, your track, your uh, swimming and diving, a lot of the Olympic sports. Uh, they're very excellent in those uh, those sports. So if you're looking for you know the Big Ten to be more competitive at a national level, winning more championships, yeah, I mean I think adding those programs is going to go a long way for that. I don't know. What do you think? You know, like you said, I think good for conference, good for college football are two different things. Good for the conference. This is very good for the conference. When you have an opportunity to add talent like that, you never say no, right? Um, what happens to Pac-12? Do they absorb a good chunk of the, the Mountain West? Or or what are we going to see here? Does the Mountain West see an opportunity to bring in some FCS talent or, or, or mid-major talent like North Dakota State, like South Dakota State, um, or or other FCS mid-major programs that are in the Midwest or, or the West? Because... Of course, there's been talk of San Diego State going to the Pac-12 for a long time. Does Gonzaga get added to the Pac-12? That's an added bonus for for basketball. That's a reason to get subscriptions and and to sign contract uh, contracts with with TV deals. Obviously, this Apple Plus deal is just weird and a big reason why this isn't going to work out with with some of these other programs in the in the Pac-12 as it is currently uh, constructed, but I don't know how it all shakes out for college football. I, I, I think the Rose Bowl is effectively dead because it was a Pac-12 Big Ten Bowl. I Well, I mean, think... it, it sounded like the Rose Bowl was kind of – I mean, this does kill the Rose Bowl in its historical form uh, with the Big 12, Pac-12 matchup, although it does sound like that was kind of going away with the expanded playoff anyway, that the – the Rose Bowl uh, is going to be a like a semifinal host or a, a other round host. So fair enough. You might you might end up with the Big Twelve, Pac twelve matchup in those, but it wouldn't be something where they're engineering it the way they, you know, did for for decades. But right, and now I think where we're headed right now in college football is taking away the urgency of the sport because. Every game mattered before. And now, especially with the the 12-team playoff that we're going to see coming up here soon. Well, it doesn't matter. They lost two games. They're going to make they're going to make the playoff. I mean, if if Ohio State loses two games, but it's to Michigan on a last second field goal and to USC in a shootout, then well, they're probably going to make the playoff. But 
I just really think that's unfortunate. Now that's another conversation, but additionally seeing Ohio state, Oregon on a Saturday night in October is going to be awesome. I think it provides an opportunity for a lot more fun games, a lot more high level games. What it also does is takes away the likelihood of a USC, of a UCLA, of an Oregon, of a Washington to be successful at the highest level in terms of making playoff appearances and going far because they're going to lose more games than they would if it was a Pac-12. They're, in the Pac-12, it was just UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon, more or less. Of course, Oregon State's on on the the come up, in, in my opinion. I think they were decent last year. Hope, they're hoping to make a step forward. Of course, Washington, Washington State was really fun when they were the air raid offense under Mike Leach and, and such with uh, – who was the quarterback that was with the mustache? Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Gardner yeah. Minshew. So, yep. but – I think it it inhibits the likelihood of a school like Washington, of a school like Oregon winning a national title or getting to that final four of the playoff, which sucks for them. That's That sucks. But I think we're going to have much more fun games in the middle of the season, but it takes away some of the fun at the end of the season as well because we one of my favorite parts about bowl season is seeing teams that – would virtually never play each other in the regular season match up in a bowl game like Oregon and Wisconsin, however many years in the Rose bowl, when um, Justin Herbert ran all over them or Penn state and USC when, um, Oh gosh, Sam Darnold was the quarterback and Saquon Barkley was there. Those games were fun. We're going to see some of those in the middle of the season, but it's not going to have as much urgency as a bowl game. Now, where does this go in terms of guys sitting out bowl games and sitting out even in the playoff because of their NFL, their hopes for the NFL? I don't know. There's just so many different ways this is this could go, and I don't know if it's a good thing. We're going to find out, but I, I, I don't love it. I think the Big 12 is going to be really fun now. Also, are we going to rename these conferences? Is the Big 10 going to be the Big 18? Which just sounds awful. Like... Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I mean, the Big Ten has 18, the Big 12 has 16. I mean, name, name have no me. I mean, technically, names haven't had meaning for, especially for the Big Ten for like 30 years. But right. it, it is just exceedingly ridiculous. I mean, the more teams they add, and I mean, obviously, the Big Ten is a very strong brand, but it does, uh, it does keep getting more and more absurd when you just. You know, you're the big eight. If, if they had two more and you're you're 20 teams, is the Big Ten really a 20 team league? I mean, just right. how how preposterous is that? With 18 teams, you almost have to go back to divisions, right? Or what will possibly be 20 teams if Notre Dame and they add Stanford or or, or something like that? Yeah, I mean that'll be an interesting uh, discussion if if they want to go back to divisions. You know, one of the things they they talked about a lot with the, you know, the new schedules that they drew up when it was just USC and, and UCLA coming was that they really felt like a key part of being a conference uh, is that, you know, you, you play each other a lot and you, you see each other often. And, and I agree with that because I think one of the, uh, one of the problems with some of the, when these conferences started expanding and they had the divisions uh, is that divisional play really does lock you into 
you know, two thirds of your games against the same teams every year, which, you know, certainly you develop, you know, strong feelings about those teams. But then if the other half of your conference, you know, you're seeing them once or twice a decade. I mean, the SEC has had some just ridiculous uh, quote unquote rivalries where teams have played each other like two times in a 10 year span. It's like, how, how is that a team in your conference when you see them, you know, that infrequently? So I, I don't know that it's going to take some creative scheduling for sure to come up with a format where, you know, you have to, you, you've got a lot of competing interests to balance. You've got that desire to play each other fairly often. You've got the desire to, uh, you know, maintain some form of competitive balance. Um, and then, you know, travel is also going to be a factor. You know, how many West, you know, cross-country road trips are teams going to be expected to make in the course of a, a season? You know, could that be a determining factor in who wins the conference? Like, well, we only had to make one cross-country road trip and, you know, this other team had to make, I can't imagine anyone making like three cross-country cross-country road trips, but uh, I don't know. I mean, there's just definitely a lot of things that are going to, the league is going to have to juggle to try and figure out how this works. And that's just football. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a, there's 12 to 15 other sports at least that have their own headaches, but they don't get the attention because they don't bring in the hundred million dollar, uh, billion dollar really media deals. Right. And this, <clears throat> none of this is about the athlete. I mean, you, you hit it. There was an undertone of that, but none of this is about the athletes at all. You don't care about the well-being of the athletes. When a track athlete has to travel from USC to Rutgers for a meet, you know, or, or tennis or, or volleyball or what have you, you very clearly don't care about the athletes. This is not about their well-being. This isn't about uh, their, their classes, their academics. None of this is about the athletes whatsoever. This is about money. That's, that's the bottom dollar. That's that's what it is. And it's unfortunate that that is why um, so much of this movement is happening. It's secondarily, we should have had this conversation years ago, but Rutgers is not a Big Ten school. <laughs> like they, they sent it back to the ACC. Like they, 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 um, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the athletes are taking a backseat and we're going to be fed BS about that. No, oh, this is about the athlete. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's about the dollar. So we'll, we'll see how, how things <laughs> shake out. And on top of all of that, Texas and, and Oklahoma going to the SEC, the SEC is just going to be a bloodbath. I, I, this probably was a conversation for however long ago, but I, I, I think there's definitely a possibility that um, that the SEC just beats the crap out of each other all year, and then they start not performing in the playoff. I guess there's probably going to be a significant amount of time between the playoff and the regular season, as there has been, so they get a little bit of time to breathe. But that's a possibility uh, on top of what we're already dealing with with all the movement. And we're moving from uh, potentially more than likely – power five to power four and then potentially power three with whatever happens to the ACC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, just, I wanted to follow up on something you mentioned before, you know, about, you know, the possibility for more fun games during the regular season, which, you know, I, I think is definitely 
you know, a real, I wouldn't even say possibility. I mean, it, it is something that will happen. I mean, obviously, you know, I was going to be playing Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA, not every year, but, you know, in some, in some fashion, they'll be on the schedule. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, that's probably another positive is that, you know, when I, when the big 10 added Rutgers and Maryland, you know, no offense to, uh, to those fan bases, I don't think any Big Ten fans were jumping up and down to go visit Rutgers and Maryland for a road game. Um, but the, you know, I, you, you have to say that the teams that the Big Ten has added, you know, from the Pac-12, there's a lot of road trips there that I think will be a very desirable from a fan standpoint. Um, you know, going out to L.A. or Seattle is, uh, is a much different thing than going to West Lafayette or Champaign or yeah. Scataway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a media member as well, sign me up for Iowa USC 6 p.m. kickoff in Kinnick. Like, I'm in. Let's do this. That sounds awesome. Uh, same thing for Oregon and Washington. Uh, it's too bad uh, Michael Penix will be moved on because we could have seen an Indiana-Washington <laughs> rivalry too. Uh, that would have been fun. But I, I think bottom line is, well, first of all, again, it's not about the athlete. It's about the dollar. And secondly, regular season is going to be really fun. And that translates to basketball too. Oregon traditionally, well, within the last few years, we'll get a four or five star recruit. That's really fun. Bull bull seeing, him, uh, you know, the opportunity to see him in, in, in Carver arena would have been cool. And of course, Bronny James at USC, hopefully he fully recovers and everything's okay with, with his health, but seeing him in, in Carver on one day would, would be awesome as well. So ultimately there's, there's positives to take away. There's negatives, just like anything. Uh, in terms of of this this college football movement and realignment. So as things progress, we'll continue to, to share information that we get on our premium board. You can subscribe to our premium content, get inside information at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. That includes on a recruit while we're at it that will be committing this Friday four-star Xavier Lucas, whether he ends up at Iowa or not. We will see what we can do to get that information to you before he announces. And that's, again, you got to subscribe, iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe and get our premium content there. So much more than just inside information. You get to interact with us on a regular basis. So we're going to move on to this next final topic for, for Ross and I here on Hawkcast this Monday. Saw a post from Seth Anderson, transfer wide receiver from Charleston Southern, and it prompted a question from me on our premium board. I also mentioned something about it on Twitter, but has he become underrated with the addition of Caleb Brown. And also, will Seth be a second option as a wide receiver? Is he going to be wide receiver number two, or is it going to be Raggedy Vines? These are two questions that I have on Anderson at this point. Is he underrated? Or by way of that fact of those two coming back, is he going to be the second option at right wide receiver? And by way of being the second or third or fourth option at receiver, he's going to be the third or fourth or fifth option because of the tight end and Eric on Luke Lachey. So put that all together. That was a lot of information at once. Ross is Seth Anderson underrated at this point in time. I mean, I think he probably is a little bit and, you know, I would identify two main reasons for that. I mean, number one, I think like you pointed out, you know, he, 
Iowa got him from the portal. And then a little bit later, they added Caleb Brown. And, you know, he's the, what was he, a four-star? Four-star, number nine. Yep, number 91 recruit in the country on Rivals. Right, four-star receiver, went to Ohio State. So, I mean, that carries a lot of cachet. Uh, Those are the guys Iowa never, ever gets. So now, you know, he's coming to Iowa City. Obviously, that's a lot to be excited about. Um, and Anderson is, is not that. And the other thing is, you know, he played at Charleston Southern, which I'm guessing a lot of Iowa fans have not, uh, not seen a lot of Charleston Southern games. So they don't really know, you know, what he, uh, what he brings to the table necessarily. But, uh, I do, I do think he is underrated and, uh, he's got a real interesting skill set. Um, and I think he could, uh, definitely make an impact this season. Um, in terms of the other part of your question, uh, you know, does he become that uh, number two wide receiver option? Man, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, at, at this I point would, in time, it's tough. We haven't seen him in a Hawkeye uniform yet. Yeah, yeah. We, we have seen just very nothing really to go off of. Um, so it's all speculation. Uh, I would probably err on the conservative side and say no, that I – Reggini and uh, Vines, you know, they've got more experience here. How much is that going to matter? I mean, it it matters in the short term, for sure. If he can do enough in fall practice to to move ahead of them, then, you know, that's a great sign for him. Um, I I am actually very interested to see what Vines can do, though, because he was the guy that uh, last year at this time, he was getting some really good buzz. Uh, and then he suffered an injury, ended up missing at least half the season, I think. Uh, comes back, and, you know, the Iowa passing game is just, you know, it was a disaster last season. So, you know, not not a great situation to step back into. Uh, and he never, you know, never really made, was able to make much of an impact. But, you know, it sounds like he's been healthy all spring, healthy this summer. Uh, you know, is he able to, uh, you know, use that to his advantage and develop – a bond with Cade and, you know, can he carve his own role uh, in this passing, passing game? Right. So I look at <clears throat> Vines for several reasons as being potentially wide receiver number two or Ragaini as number two, mostly Ragaini because like Kirk said at big 10 media days, he's basically a senior citizen at this point for Ragaini or for, for Vines rather. Vines is the only scholarship receiver that was healthy for all of spring. Seth Anderson was hurt. Ragaini was dealing with an injury. And so that provided a lot of time for him to get work with Cade, even though Cade wasn't a full go because he was recovering from surgery as well. So Vines, Kirk is also high on, on Deontay Vines as well. Um, he's just said, you know, he's really hoping to have some luck in terms of that, avoiding the injuries this fall. And uh, they're, they're really really high on him of course we know what Ragaini is and I think it's possible that Seth Anderson ends up at number two the wide receiver number two do I think it happens right away I don't I think it's a possibility I think a lot of it is conditioning for him at this point too just coming back off that injury that's been a focus for him at this point and uh, obviously they're working on that in camp that's for sure but the production at Charleston Southern is what I think has people most excited. He caught 42 passes for 628 yards, seven touchdowns. 
looking at the film, he's fun. He produced, I think he had five catches for 40 yards or something like that against NC State. So that's the hardest competition he faced while at Charleston Southern. I think it's it's a possibility. Do I rule it out? No. Do I think it's highly likely? No. I, I would lean more towards Vines and Ragini as you did, Ross. So with that said, that had me thinking as well, what are some other players or who are some other players on the roster that could be considered underrated at this point? I only came up with a couple, Ross. I'm I'm intrigued to see who you came up with. Obviously, you have my outline, so you know who I came up with. But um, is there anybody that, that sticks out to you as somebody who would be considered underrated going into the 2023 season on the football roster for Iowa? I think one of the guys that I'm interested in is uh, Ontario Thompson, the uh, the transfer D lineman from Iowa Western. Um, that's a stacked position uh, unit for sure. So I think, you know, getting minutes there won't be easy, but you know, he was very productive at, at the Juco level. And uh, you know, obviously the coaches definitely liked what they saw to, uh, to get him here. You know, I, I think that he could really have a shot to, you know, maybe he can uh, surprise some folks in camp and uh, get a few more minutes and a few more snaps than people are expecting. Cause I, I don't hear a lot. I haven't seen a lot of talk about him. I think, you know, just kind of that Juco transfer thing, it doesn't, it's not the most, you know, buzzworthy move, but it does seem like he could, you know, he might be able to, uh, to carve out some good minutes. Yeah. I, I, he was on my list in, in terms of consideration there. And I think that is largely because of the just sheer depth that that position has. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen with Noah Shannon. That'd be a way for him to carve out a role more than likely at that one tech spot, though. I don't think he would be a starter by any means, but you know, they rotate those, those D linemen, like it's nothing in, in Iowa city. So I think yeah, I mean, it's the, definitely the last, the last three, four years, they've gone six to eight guys deep at D line pretty, pretty consistently. So, I mean, that, there's, there's real opportunity there, I would say. Right. And with that said, I'm going to go off what you said to a degree with YA black, because he's had the a little bit of an injury bug in his time in Iowa City as well. I think he's going to step into a big-time role in that that one-tech spot as well this season. Again, based on health, what can he do there? He would probably be the starter at that one-tech spot if Shannon's not going not gonna to play or, or is unable to play for a portion of the season, whatever shakes out. And then Thompson would rotate in, I imagine. Of course, we're going to learn more about that after camp and, and how things shake out there. But he would be another guy I would consider. And again, to, to, to go a different route, Joe Evans, I think is getting to a point where he's underrated right now because everybody's thinking about Deontay Craig. Everybody's thinking about um, Aaron Graves and, and I guess Logan Lee as well, but Joe Evans had the same amount of sacks as Deontay Craig had last season. I think people forget that Deontay Craig has the higher ceiling. He is, is a guy who probably projects better to the NFL, but Joe Evans was equally productive in terms of sacks last season. So I think there's, there's several guys on the defensive line just by sheer depth that kind of get left out. Is there anybody else that, that sticks out to you that that should be considered underrated or could be considered underrated at this point in the year? I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily completely underrated and I know he's the guy that you're very high on, but uh, Nick Jackson at linebacker, you know, I, I think, I think just because he's a guy that fans aren't too familiar with yet. Um, 
you know, they don't know as much about him, but he's got, you know, massive potential, which I know you've, uh, you've talked about a few times before. Yeah. Fires around the field like a missile. That's kind of my go-to when I talk about Nick Jackson, but I've heard some talk of him filling that Mike linebacker spot and Jay Higgins moving over to the will. So that's contradictory to what we heard from, from Higgins in the spring. He said, I've been waiting for that Mike spot to open up and I want it. And that's going to be me. And surely based on the fact that he knows the defense more than Nick Jackson does, I give the edge to Higgins, but Jackson played the Mike at Virginia. So how much of that translates to what they do at Iowa? I don't know. I, 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 lean more towards Higgins and I I think we're going to learn a lot more about that coming up later on on Friday this week we'll talk a little bit more about questions we have going into Friday on Thursday's podcast but that's one I definitely want to hear about because I'm hearing different bits from different people so just based on what I know the information that I have I still see Higgins at the mic and and putting in uh, Nick Jackson at the will now the other person that I added to this list, other player that I added to this list that could be considered underrated, Jamari Harris, man. I feel like we're forget we've we've essentially forgotten about him. And when we talk about the defensive back position, we talk about Cooper DeGene, which fair enough, dude. Like <laughs> there's a reason yeah. that we do that. And he's yeah. one of the best defensive backs in the country, could very well win Big Ten defensive player of the year by the end of this season. And Jamari Harris is kind of a plug-and-play guy. Mostly when we've talked about the cornerback position, we've talked about, like I said, Cooper, and then and then obviously Jamar Harris is cornerback uh, number two. And then we've talked about if they can add somebody in the portal to fill that third spot, or talking about TJ Hall, or talking about Deshaun Lee, and we're just kind of skipping over Jamar Harris, what he's capable of and what he's done. Four picks two years ago, obviously injured last year, so there's another reason why he swept under the rug a little bit. I expect Jamari Harris to be very productive this season by way of the fact that other opposing offenses are going to be avoiding Cooper. And you could say the same thing about Xavier Wampa. I think he's going to put together a few picks for me. I I think Harris has reached a point where he's underrated. I agree. I agree. I mean, I I think, you know, someone kind of has to be in that secondary just because you've got some really high profile guys there. And, uh, but I, yeah, Harris, I think, you know, he's shown what he can do what he, a couple of years ago with the four picks. And, you know, it was unfortunate that he was hurt last year. But, uh, you know, I think he can definitely, if other if quarterbacks decide to, you know, target him uh, and avoid Cooper, uh, he's definitely shown that he can make quarterbacks pay for that decision. And uh, so he could definitely be in line for a, a very strong year, I think. That he could. So that's all for me, Ross. Do you have any other players that that you looked at on the roster that would be considered underrated you know i I guess if there's one other name um you know it's kind of a deep deep cut uh and then just to kind of show a little bit of love towards the offense again but uh you know jazz patterson uh, at running back um you know he, he just he flashed a little bit last year at the end of the season and i don't know how many snaps or how much opportunity he's gonna get when you've already got uh, Caleb Johnson and uh, LaShawn Williams, but I, they just seem like he's, he's definitely got some, uh, some ability. So does that I considered, translate enough? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I considered putting him on my list too. 
Uh, obviously, we saw three backs last season and a little bit of him as well. So four backs with Johnson, LaShawn Williams, Gavin Williams, and, and, and Jazz Peterson. And I really was not in on Gavin Williams at all. I think Northern Illinois is a better fit for him, to be frank. And so I'm excited to see what he does in that third spot, how much we see of him. Um, I, I, I think Caleb Johnson, well, I mean, I don't think, I, I effectively know that Caleb Johnson's going to get the majority of the carries. LaShawn Williams will be number two, and and we'll see if if Jazz Patterson can fill a role there as that tertiary back and and what what he does against a much improved offensive line as well. So so I'm intrigued to see what he does too. We'll wrap it up there. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Hotcast brought to you by Iowa.rivals.com and go Iowa Awesome. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today at Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Do that. You get all the insider information. You get access to our premium boards where you can talk with myself, Ross, and of course, our other publisher, Adam Jacoby. If you haven't followed us on Twitter yet, do that at Iowa Awesome, as well as Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And then Ross at Ross W-B on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the show as well. Leave a rate and review while you're listening. That helps us out a lot. If you have any questions, do that on the premium board, or you can submit them with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Once again, my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter for now. We'll see you next time.